Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my fantastic co-host, Miss Elizabeth Woodson. How are you doing tonight, Elizabeth? I'm doing great. Good. I'm glad to see you and hear you. And for those who can only hear her, I'm glad they can hear you. <laughs> and then we are joined tonight by uh, our wonderful guest, who's been so incredibly patient with my mistakes already on this episode, even though we're just getting started. Tonight we have with us Mr. Daniel Darling. Daniel, how you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing great, and uh, glad just glad to be here with you. Honored to be on the this great podcast. This is a big deal. Good. Yeah, well, it's a big deal for us to have you. So Daniel has a brand new book called Away With Words, and on tonight's episode, we're going to be talking with him about that and a few other things. Now, Daniel's been on the show with us before. We call him a friend of the show. He's also a very accomplished author, writer of, for a number of publications, The Washington Post, USA Today, CNN, Huffington Post. He's written other books as well that we've gotten the chance to talk with him about. But Daniel, with all that being said, what do our listeners not know about Daniel Darling that it'd be good for them to know about you? Well, I'm trying to think. There's a couple things. One, uh, I'm from the Chicago area, and uh, I'm a huge Chicago sports fan, pro sports. Elizabeth, uh, what's your favorite pro sports team from Chicago? Uh, can I say that I'm not a sports fan? Oh, sports that? strike one. <laughs> Sorry, we that's a talk, sports reference. We could, we could talk Chicago-style pizza. We could oh, talk. I can do that. I can do that. We could talk about how great Chicago is in the summer. Like, it's a great summer city. Of Beautiful like going downtown city. and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so Chicago sports and everything is cool, although I've lived in Nashville for about uh, since 2013. Are sports different in Nashville than in Chicago? You know, they are. They love the Predators, the Nashville Predators, the hockey team. They love the Titans. Oh, they like the Titans when the Titans are good, I should say. Okay. They're pretty good right now. <laughs> uh, and college sports, it's weird because it's such an influx of people. So they all have their favorite college teams. You know how that works? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of transplanted Midwestern people here, though. I mean, a lot of Chicago folks, a lot of Michigan, even Wisconsin folks. Wisconsin people hearts. are the worst, aren't they? I mean, <laughs> just the worst. <laughs> there's so a Culver's here, though. So hey, I Culver's. Culver's. Oh. Yeah, Culver's so, is know, a lot like tasting Wisconsin, except it's in Wisconsin. I don't feel like it's popular. I, I worked at a custard shop in Wisconsin. I grew up in Milwaukee, and uh, we had like some legit custard places in Milwaukee. And then we kind of outsourced or kind of uh, what do they call it? We exported Culver's, and so people yeah. get kind of like a middle of the road version. But so it's man, not it's not super legit. No, it's not super legit, but it's pretty good. If you ever if you're ever <laughs> yeah. in Milwaukee, go to Cops K O P P S. Okay, I will do that's, that. That's the place. I, I, I will say you can't get a decent bratwurst here in Nashville, which is mm. a shame. So, no. Amen. Amen. So, you got to buy those Johnsonvilles at the Walmart yeah. and make them yourself. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> the, other thing, the other thing people may or may not know about, they probably know about me if they read my stuff, but I, I, love, I love history. So oh. my hobby is really just reading biographies in history. Okay. What's your you favorite know, I mean, historical biography? Man, that's so hard. To say, because, really? you know, I love everything by, you know, Meacham and uh, yeah. uh, uh, Ron Chernow, all his stuff. Like, his biography of Grant was so good. Uh, I've heard that. Have you ever read uh, Morris's biography of Teddy Roosevelt? Uh, yeah, yes. I've read the Teddy Roosevelt stuff. I love everything by Doris Kearns Goodwin. Okay. Um, 
all, all those folks. I like my idea of leisure is reading a presidential biography or cool. listening to it. I love audiobooks. Like I'll, I've always got an audiobook going uh, on yeah. history. So yeah, me too. If you had to, if you got to sit down to dinner with, uh, let's say, two or three historical figures, who would you sit down with? Man, that would be tough. I think I would say like probably you know Martin Luther King, okay, FDR, who is just you know interesting and helped save the country, and Lincoln, um, probably Martin Luther, Calvin. I, I don't okay. know. I mean, so you'd have a dinner with Martin no, Luther and Martin Luther King Jr. That might get a little confusing during the meal. That would be, yeah. <laughs> Although one to, speaks German, I guess the, it probably wouldn't be that. That would bad, be but. tough. Yeah, that would be. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Dan, I'm so excited to have you on our program. One of the reasons we have you on tonight is to talk about your new book, uh, Away With Words. Uh, for those who haven't maybe heard of it or read it yet, tell us a little bit, not only what the book is about, but why you wrote it. Well, there's really two reasons I wrote it. <clears throat> the first reason, it just goes back to my love of words. Um, I, I've always been fascinated ever since I was a kid. Uh, I I was able to read at an early age for whatever reason. And uh, our family, we didn't have a TV. Um, so it was either radio or newspapers or books. And so I just read voraciously. And then in middle school, I had a teacher who, uh, in English composition, I turned in a few assignments and she just said, you know, in a kind of offhanded way, you know, I think you got some talent here. You should pursue this. Which, you know, when you're a kind of chunky middle school kid with bad glasses, you know, <laughs> and someone tells you that there's something you're good at, you're like, yeah. you're, you're like, I'm running with this. So I've always loved to write and, uh, and writing's kind of been my career. Uh, words have been my career, whether I'm pastoring, preaching, or, you know, writing or editing or writing articles, writing books, uh, hosting a podcast or working in communications for several organizations. And so um, I've always loved words, and, and Christianity is a religion of words. You know, we have a God who speaks. Uh, we have Jesus, who's the Logos, the Word of God. Uh, we, as human beings, one of the things that separates us from the rest of creation is our high level of communication, the fact that we can, yeah. you know, animals communicate, but an animal's not going to write a novel, <laughs> right, <laughs> uh, that I know of. So It wouldn't be uh, any good anyway. It wouldn't be any good. <laughs> so... Uh, I mean, that's what's separate. So, and the Bible has a lot to say about the shape of our words. It really yeah. does. Uh, so you combine that with the fact that we're living in this digital age where it's never been easier to communicate. I mean, with a few taps of our thumbs or a few strokes on the keyboard, we can uh, send a message to the world. And yeah. so I think we have to ask ourselves, how are we going to steward this moment? We're not going to go backward, right? We're not going to go back to the 1950s, and we're not going to all be, suddenly become Amish. <laughs> yeah. So how do we steward this moment? Uh, what do we yeah. do with this is really the, the, what, the, the reason for the book. Yeah, and uh, you know, this is a, it's a different time where it is very easy. Like you said, it's very easy to put our thoughts out there. Anybody can put their thoughts out there. All you need is internet access, and you can put your thoughts out there. And the, the subtitle of your book, Away With Words, is Using Our Online Conversations for Good. Elizabeth, just to speak to the need for a book like this, uh, you're on social media. You also are a Bible teacher. You've seen the, the word of the Lord used in changing lives. You've seen social media used for good and for bad. We've talked recently about the social dilemma, which I'm sure we could get into that. Dan, I assume you've probably watched it. But the um, Elizabeth, could you speak to a second just like why, if the subtitle of the book is using our online conversations for good, 
why is that a necessary conversation for people right now? Why do, why do we need to be talking about this? Like, where do we see online conversations going bad? I mean, <laughs> I feel like most of the conflict that we hear about is something that's a, arisen online, um, whether that is in some tweet thread where people are arguing back and forth, or it is in misinformation or how people are being characterized or cancel culture. Um, is a big one that we see that kind of this mob movement um, and lots of people just canceling a particular person for um, how they feel about an action they might have taken. But it just is Christians aren't separate from that activity. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes it can be hard to distinguish between those who say they love Christ and how we behave online and those who aren't um, aren't believers. And that character formation is important and that being Christians means that we ought to live a certain way and those actions and behavior and virtue ought to show up online. I think That's... sometimes we can forget that. Um, and so, you know, this book to me is super important because I think it is obvious to anyone that online conversations tend to have this bad turn to them and we have to do something about that. Yeah, people need some help without a comment online. You know, I, I use a pseudonym for all of my over-cussing, evil, vitriolic <laughs> stuff. So I think that's really helpful. I don't know if that's one of the tips in the book. You need to put that in there. Yes. Uh, I'm just that kidding. That did not make the cut. Oh, are you, though, you know, are you kidding, B&H, Adam? I'm totally kidding. B&H being Southern Baptist, cut that out. I can't, I can't believe that. That's Have a burner account. <laughs> yeah, Dan, exactly. Let's talk uh, for serious. In the book, is, is your hope to kind of paint a philosophical picture of the way we use our words and how powerful they are? Or is it more pragmatically to make people think, this is what I need to change about how I interact with people on the internet? Or is it some mix of both? Yeah, it's it's a mix of really everything. I mean, uh, we are saying, you know, I am trying to say, let's try to be kinder and nicer online, but that's not really, really everything I'm saying. Um, um, I, I want to go deeper than that. Like asking the questions of, why are we doing what we're doing before we do it online? So the, a couple examples are, uh, one, uh, there's a tendency for us, I think, to curate a version of ourselves that yeah. is uh, makes up what we feel we lack in real life. Uh, I actually think when I see people acting crazy online repeatedly, not one time or, you know, your passions get the best of you, but like a repeated pattern of just trying to ramp up the crazy. I always, I always wonder like, is there something going on here? Is there an insecurity issue? You know, there, there's a, um, there's a tendency to, to want to create a version of ourselves that we feel will find affirmation from the, a group of people that will, uh, get us the kind of affirmation love we, we, maybe we don't feel we get in real life. Maybe we're dissatisfied with the real version of us. So we yeah. want to create an alternate version. And this shows up in a lot of different ways. It could be the person that's the keyboard warrior that X was never considered courageous in life, was maybe shy and unassuming, but you get behind that keyboard and you feel brave. Uh, and, and, and you create a persona of that person's a truth teller, that person's a Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms, that person is a, you know, and you can wake up and tell yourself you're that person. Or it could be... Um, an Instagram influencer who is amassing these followers and this big following and, and is somebody and is hanging out and tagging the, all the right people. Uh, it could be moms who are pressured to show everybody else, hey, I, I'm a perfect mom. I'm a 
good homeschool mom or I'm a good Christian mom or I'm doing my devotions just right. It could yeah. be the tendency to want to create like, hey, I'm a thoughtful person or, or activism. I mm. think I have a whole whole chapter on activism, which I'm I'm very passionate about a lot of issues, justice issues and pro-life issues. But there's a tendency to use activism as a way to kind of project that I am one of the good people. Yeah. You know? And so I think the, the solution to that, it sounds very cliche, but if we understand who we are in Christ, that uh, God loves the offline version of us. He yeah. likes the, mess, the version of us that we don't show the world. And if we understand that um, we're known by God and we know God, then, then we're free to really be our true selves and our real selves. Yeah, I love that. I think you're right. The, the, the online world feeds so much of what we would see the Lord warn against when it comes to, I think of especially covetousness of uh, when you see somebody else's curated life, which is not necessarily a reality, whether it's a commercial or it's just your friend who's not being entirely honest with the world about what their life looks like, it can easily lead to a heart that says, why is why is my life not more like, or why am I mm. lacking? I want to diagnose the problem a little bit here. We can see a lot of the symptoms, like you're talking about the, the curated life uh, that we put out there, the maybe the angry um, or polarizing opinions out there. Where is this coming from? Why is this happen on social media? You mentioned that uh, maybe people feel braver, but why do people feel braver? Is this just us getting a more accurate picture of the way people have always been, or is there something different happening right now? I think, you know, there's a few things, and Elizabeth, you might have some insights too, but I think, uh, you know, the internet can both be a revealer of who we already are. It it also can have its own perverse incentives to to be something we're not. Um, um, and so there's a performative aspect sometimes to this. Like sometimes when I see people really crazy, yeah. it's a performative. You're performing for a cer- certain group, a certain tribe. Um, and that I think underneath that, there's a there's a um, there's something going on that why do I feel I need attaboys and I need yeah. attention and I need affirmation from this tribe. What am I trying to do? Or it, it, it also, you know, I have a friend of mine that just says, you know, uh, to people, you know, like, stop trying to be a thing, you know, like <laughs> everybody, you know, in, in many ways that are good, social media has flattened access to many things. And I think yeah. that's a good, you know, it's elevated voices that maybe weren't heard before. It's given people a platform they didn't have before which I think is good. Yeah. However, it also, everybody thinks that, you know, they can be something or they can go viral. They can be a celebrity. They can, they can um, kind of shortcut paths to success. And I, I think there are perverse incentives that way, um, why people do that. So I, I, I think it's both a revealer of, of deep insecurities that we have, but it, uh, it, there's also a performative aspect. No, that's performing. a really good point. Elizabeth, how well, you know, you... everybody's on a stage essentially. And exactly. I'm not sure we were all really created for this for the 24-7 stage to be mm. performing all the time. No, Does that make I, sense? Yeah, I agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth, what else do you see here? When we diagnose why is this an issue that's that's uh manifesting on social media, where do you see this? And I think you have an opportunity for the idols uh that 
take our attention, you know, so like power, um, acceptance, um, love, all this vanity. So pride, (laughs) I mean, we are just prone to that as humans. And so you create a, a system or a program, so to speak, that provides opportunities for that to be fed even more so. And so, you know, I think some of these proclivities we've had before, we just haven't had the opportunity to live them out in this way. Um, You also think about us being really disconnected. And so the lack of community. And so people looking for community online, where in years past, that community would have been found physically um, in your physical geographic community, um, whether that was a street you lived on, it was a club you were a part of, it was a church you were a part of. And so just, I think, cultural trends and how we're isolated, we're looking for something and that something are these deep holes of acceptance and love. Um, We want to be seen because we love glory as people. We love to worship things. We want to be worshiped and we want to worship. Um, And social media just provides for all of that. Just a little like button. um, And (laughs) when you have a couple thousand likes, you start to think about yourself a little differently. Um, Mm. And so things that are in us have a new opportunity to grow because of a new platform that they're on. You're right. That's such a great point. That is such a great point. Like we are, we, we seek this glory and, um, it's interesting how many of these things really go back to the garden, you know, of Eden and go back to the temptation. Uh, Jen Michelle, who's a great writer, she wrote a book called Surprised by Paradox. And one of the things she says in there, and I kind of use some of this in, uh, in the book, in the first chapter, I talk about, you know, this, this endless, you know, the internet presents an endless information. So I don't know about you guys, but at times, like if I can't sleep at night, you know, I'm tempted to reach for my phone and just start reading and scrolling. And, you know, it's a bad habit. I put my phone across the room now, <laughs> so I don't do that. Except there's times that I've, I can't sleep and I find ways. I got to get go to the bathroom and I just happen to grab my phone and just kind of bring it here. My wife's sleeping. And, you know, there there's a difference. Be- I talk about this in the book. There's a difference between our... Um, uh, insatiable curiosity that God has given human beings, right? We have a whole book of Proverbs that urges us to seek wisdom and knowledge. So yeah. there's an, the curiosity is good. We should want to learn and, gr- and know about God and his world. There's a difference between that and the kind of busybody uh, that Paul condemns in the epistles, of a quest for endless information and useless things, and one of the th- we have to we have to kind of have discernment to say what is useful information, what do I need to know and be involved in, and and what is just kind of junk food information. And even secular sociologists are pointing this out, right? Like Nicholas Carr has talked about in the shallows that all this skimming has actually hurt our ability to learn. Hmm. You know, there's a deep quest for knowledge in this kind of endless stuff. And I think it goes back, all, all of this to say, this goes back to the Garden of Eden. One of the things that Jen Michelle says is that one of the lies that the serpent told Eve was that you can be all-knowing. Hmm. Uh, and you know, human beings were not made to be all-knowing, that God is all-knowing. Yeah, and part of what it means to be human is to know that we don't know things. You know, yeah. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, you you start your quest for knowledge knowing that you there's a lot you don't know. Yeah, and so this idea of FOMO, a fear of missing out, the thing that keeps us reaching for our phone, 
and keeps us checking, 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 is that we're afraid that there's something going on in the world that we don't know about. We're afraid that we're not all-knowing. We weren't meant to be all-knowing. And so the antidote to that is to understand that um, I'm human, and it's actually good that there's things out there I don't know. There's controversies online happening right now that I don't know anything about, right? The Kardashians are doing stuff that I don't know about, right? (laughs) Like, I, you know, and I think understanding, like, me, me getting twitchy when I don't have my phone is me trying to be like God. Yeah. Me trying to be in control of the universe. Me trying to set the tone, set the agenda. And our phones give us that, that, it's that subtle temptation that if I have this, then I'm really, you know, yeah, control of the world. So I, I try to get underneath some of that stuff too. And I think there's a, there's a great love of content and there's no end to content. People, people mm-hmm. looking for things to watch, listen to, purchase, buy, and, and then people love to be affirmed. You, you called them attaboys earlier. I think there's a desire online to find, uh, to find in our online persona or in what we consume from online, a better way to feel about ourselves. And I can feel good about myself if people have liked a photo of me or my family or the trip I've taken or something I've accomplished. And I, it, it affects the way I feel about myself. And similarly, if I'm uh, maybe up in the middle of the night and I'm reading something, it affects the way I feel about I feel like I am improving as a person or growing as a person or learning secrets or mysteries or like you said, just knowledge that maybe it's okay that I don't know, but we have such a love of content and contents at our fingertips that it drives this kind of human idea of of pursuit of more, and I see it as a universal human idea. But let me ask you this: uh, Let's start with yeah. Let's start with Dan. Dan, are Christians better at this? Do you see like is the Christian world you would hope this may be going? Hey, I see right through this because I've read the Book of Genesis. Or does this look like a uniquely Christian problem? Or are we just kind of like everybody else? Yeah, that's that's interesting. I, um, yeah, I mean some. Some Christians are better at this, and I think Christians are starting to think and write about it. But uh, it's interesting, actually, being a Christian sometimes produces more problems with internet communication because some of the things that we enjoy, some of the things that characterize Christianity, rightly, right? Yeah. Uh, the search for truth, justice. Those things can be distorted or can be used in a in a kind of distorted way online, right? So this is why you have Christians savaging each other online all the time. Yeah. The Christians doing people participating in that feel like they're standing up for truth. You know, yeah. they're they're Paul standing up to Peter in Galatians, right? They're um Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms. They're Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know, with every interaction. Um, and so I think sometimes it can exacerbate that a little bit. Uh, yeah. And as Elizabeth said earlier, a lot of times all the virtues that we are to be cultivating, the fruits of the Spirit, somehow when we get online, we it's it's like it doesn't count, right? Yeah. And I and I think I think there's actually something to that. Um we we because the way we communicate we're communicating through mediums through uh we're not communicating face to face 
uh, we lose the humanity of the people we're we're talking to. Yeah, and so the virtues that we're we should be displaying, we we conveniently forget. Um, so we're behind a keyboard, and you feel like you're all alone, but you're you're talking to a, to a human being, you know, made in the image of God. And I think we for the disembodied form of it makes us kind of leave those things. But we should be convicted that um, the qualifications for Christian leadership, like yeah. if you look at First um, Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus. Uh, talk a lot about our temperament. Yeah, a lot about our tone. Not a brawler. Not, not um, quarrelsome. You know all those things that I think really matter. Well, let's talk about online. that for a second. So we've talked a lot about the negative aspects of the way we use social media and the way things are used online. But Elizabeth, isn't there an opportunity for a Christian witness online? Isn't there a way to use our words positively? in order to be uh, something that sets us apart or that is a positive influence? Like, isn't there, there's a reason you're on social media and I'm sure it's not just to witness uh, hate mail going back and forth. Yeah, I mean, I think there's opportunities for us to to do lots of different things that change the conversation about how we interact online. I think one that you wrote about your book, Dan, was just the opportunity for us to apologize to one another. Um, and so when we do step out of line with our comments, to be able to come back as publicly and to apologize and to speak to our faith in that. Um, and so I think that's something that stands out a lot to the world when we do, um, when we rehumanize someone after our comments have dehumanized them. Um, I think we have an opportunity to show what it looks like to disagree well. Um, much of what happens online are different conversations. And so how do you talk with someone who you might have radically different ideas with? And even in a COVID reality, are able to say, hey, we probably should take this offline. Like this isn't a conversation we can fully have um, on a Twitter thread or on Facebook. Um, but being able to say, hey, I respect who you are. I still disagree with some of the things that you're saying, but I don't have to call you all nasty names to do that. To have civil dialogue with someone online is a lost art that we see in our culture. And I think as Christians, we have the opportunity to reintroduce that. I think that's so true, Elizabeth. In fact, I, I talk a little bit about that um, in the book. I really actually talk a lot about ways that we can redeem our online space because I, I, I'm not someone who says, let's just, let's get off social media. I, let's get off all this stuff. I actually think these are where the conversations are happening. I think we need to be present there, but I think we need to do these well. And one of the things that you mentioned is how to disagree well. I, I actually think we can have robust conversations and disagreements online. Uh, uh, that's assuming certain conditions are met, right? So I think one of the, th there's, there's several things we need to think about. I think number one, if we're going to have a disagreement online, we need to remember that we're in public. So this is something we forget. So even if you only had like a hundred followers or a hundred Facebook friends, which is fairly easy to have, imagine yourself in a room of a hundred people. Yeah. Right. And then what if you're arguing with someone else who uh, has a hundred followers or friends? That's 200 people, a room of 200 people. You would probably talk differently than yeah. you do on the keyboard. Now imagine you have 10,000 uh, followers. That's, that's a minor league baseball stadium. Or <laughs> if you have 100,000, you know, then you're getting pretty big. And so imagine yourself in public. If you're debating with someone, you'd be sitting in chairs across. And yeah, you might have a, a, a robust disagreement, but it would, you, you'd be in person and you'd be in public. And pe so understand that people are watching. 
number yeah. one. Number two, remember the humanity of the person you're disagreeing with. Amen. So say, I'm going to disagree with this person. Um, I think they're wrong, but they're not the sum total of their wrong opinion. Yeah. You know, we, we reduce people to their one argument, right? So all we see when we see their picture is that one argument, but they're whole people. People are complex. Yeah. And so we not reduce them to that. And I think number three, say, can I have an, argu- uh, an argument here that's in good faith? Now, not everybody's arguing in good faith. There are trolls out there that just want to get a rise out of people and just want to do this for sport. I don't think you should engage those people. Mm. But if someone's willing to have an argument in good faith, I think you can go back and forth and have some things. But remember, you're in public. Remember, they're human. And then I think the fourth thing is just to like end well. Like I always try to end an, an online disagreement with someone well by saying, you know, I don't land where you land on this, honestly, but you've raised some good points and uh, this has been a good discussion, right? And I think that serves two things. I think it lets the other person know, okay, he disagrees with me, but, you know, we can still be friends, number one. Number two, um, it models for everyone watching, okay, this can be done. And this is where Christians, we really can do this if we want to. And, I, you know, I can't control what everyone else is doing, but I can control what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, and that could be a way that we model for the world what it looks like to disagree disagreeably, or disagree, disagree agreeably. Agreeably. Yeah. That's <laughs> I'm not great. sure I got that right. So let's talk about this uh, really uh, pragmatically, really practically for our people. Uh, you just brought up some some good tips there, Dan, from the from the book about disagreeing agreeably and how to think about this as a as a public thing and and remembering that you're in public. I, I have a feeling that a lot of our listeners, because I think very highly of the people that listen to this program, are some of the most reasonable, intelligent people using the internet. What advice would you give to somebody who is the reasonable person, but they're watching, they're watching the, the explosions happening online, and they're watching somebody who maybe represents their faith, uh, who's having the argument, should we get involved? Should we just approach them Matthew 18 style offline? Or do you, do you say, hey guys, uh, let's stop this? Or do, you, do, you, do we uh, kind of withdraw from that moment and say, those, those people are not my responsibility? Yeah, that's a great question. I do think we need to ask ourselves constantly, you know, is this an argument I want to be involved in, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think one of the better parts of discipline is to say, hey, there's an argument going on here online. I have strong opinions about this, but I don't have to weigh in right now. Like, I don't have to. I can can hold back here. Uh, is this worth my time? Is this something? Or you might say, I, I really do feel invested in this and I'm going to weigh in here. Um, I think we have to ask ourselves that there is this idea that we have to have an opinion about every single thing all the time, right? Yeah. That if if I don't weigh in, then it's, it's wrong, uh, which is so funny because if you think about it, 20 years ago, right, um, nobody knew what someone five states away thought about some every major global crisis. (laughs) Yeah. But now we feel like we have to do that. And people will say, well, evangelical leaders are silent. Well, maybe they're not. They're just not tweeting. They may be talking to their church right now. They may be visiting someone in the hospital. They may be writing a whole paper on that topic right now, as you you were saying that. So I don't have to be... So what I like to say is, um, you don't have to be as mad as I am 
about the same issue as I am at the same time as I am at on the same platform as I am mm. uh, in order to care about something. So I think that's one thing, knowing when to weigh and when not to. The second part of it is I do think there's some accountability for our friends. And this is where I think we could be better. Like if we have friends that we love, that we have good community, and we have kind of earned the right and the capital to speak into their lives, and they're kind of embarrassing themselves online. They're kind of, you know, behaving in a way that doesn't represent Christ well. I do wonder if we should be going to them and saying, you know, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. But man, you think that was wise. Hmm. Uh, uh, I know for me, in 2016, I was engaging the election pretty hot and heavy, uh, which I want to do because I love politics. But uh, I just, I was just like, I think I went overboard. And I had an evangelical leader text me some of my tweets. And he said, and this is someone we would all know, you know, is this, is this what you really want to do? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if this is wise. And it was just kind of a jolt to say, okay, I'm going to reevaluate. I, I didn't change any of my positions. I still felt this is strong. But the way I was going about it. Yeah. Uh, change. And I think that was good for me. I've had well, to apologize. And I, th- I think, so I think that accountability is helpful. That's that good. makes sense. Well, I hope you, you, that text that I sent you really made a difference. I'm glad that you uh, <laughs> really really changed your tune after that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Elizabeth, as, as we come to a close here, can you help me distinguish two things? And I think this is really important for our conversation. What is the difference between disagreeing with somebody and disrespecting somebody? Because uh, I feel like right now in our culture, if you there's a sense like if you disagree with me, you've disrespected me, and uh, those are I think two different things that really get confused in this conversation. What's the difference between disagreeing and disrespecting? I mean, I think um, we all have the right to hold different ideas, um, and so there is a complexity in thought and conversation and all these things. And so I think we can simplify things um, and think that there's only one way. And sometimes there is, but many times there's complexities we don't give space for. And so to me, I need to give this someone space to have a different idea than me, but how they communicate that to me matters. And so I think the disrespect comes in when we, like Dan said, reduce someone to the summation of their idea. And so all of a sudden, because I don't like your idea, you're a bad person. And then I'm going to talk about you in a way that hits at um, your identity or your character in ways that are untrue and unjustified. Um, And so I think when we cross that mark into where what you're saying might be reduced to in a simple way, name calling, um, then you've hit the disrespect place and say, hey, I can give you the freedom to have different ideas than me, but you don't have the space to disrespect someone because of their ideas and really say things about them that are untrue and dehumanizing because they're made in the image of God. And Amen. so we have to um, address them as people who bear the image of our creator, and that matters significantly. And so do our words give honor to that, or do our words dishonor that? That's great. Words, like we've said all night, words are powerful. Words carry with them so much weight. And all of us probably have things that were said to us when we were far too young that still haunt us and still cling to us that were insults or compliments, mm-hmm. and they stick with us. And our, our words mean a lot. And when we're using them in a public forum, like social media or anywhere else online, they have a lasting effect. So this is an important book. Dan, I'm glad you wrote it, Away With Words. As we conclude, where can our listeners find our book? Where's the best place to go out there and find Away With Words? 
Well, you can find it in uh, any of the place that you love to buy books, your favorite retailer. Uh, you can go to the website, awaywithwordsbook.com. We have links to all that stuff there. have some cool downloads and things like that. And I do want to say, uh, in a positive way, I want to encourage folks that we talk a lot about the negativity of social media. Yeah. And there's a lot there and the perverse incentives and the ways that we're doing it wrong. But honestly, I do think Christians have a great opportunity to... Um, Show a different way. We can yes. we can have a word of encouragement. We can share the gospel. We can lift up somebody that's uh, hurting. We can commend good things like art and and uh, books and podcasts like this uh, to people who follow us. Uh, there's a lot of things we can do well and good. And so I I don't want people to go away with this thinking that you know all is lost. I think you know this is here to stay. So how can we use it for good? Amen. I think there's so much good that comes from it. I follow a lot of church leaders and Christians online, but I also have a lot of friends online who are not believers. And I'll tell you, we know about what's going on in each other's life, and I've learned a lot of what other people think and the way they think that don't normally travel in my circle. And I've learned a lot from other churches all through just being a follower and sometimes just passively keeping up with what other people are doing. There's a there's a lot uh, of kind of amoral, use them either for good or for evil things in this world, and the internet is certainly one of them. There is a blessing to the connection that we get, the information that we can receive or put out there. And I'll tell you, one of the greatest things about social media is that uh, while we're saying like it kind of levels the, or makes it level who gets heard, it's great. Christians can be heard in a new way. And how are people going to hear unless we tell them? And how are they going to be? Uh, how are we going to tell them unless we're sent? And so, being a sent Christian uh, who's going to every nation and the internet is uh, honestly, it is a a way for us to connect across boundaries that we otherwise couldn't. My uh, one of our compassion kids that we support found me on Facebook a couple years ago, mm. and instead of just sending letters back and forth, now I see pictures of his family and and we That's we awesome. connect. And he's graduating from compassion. We're going to be able to stay connected in a way that honestly, uh, 10, 20 years ago, it would only if I could fly to Peru was the only way I could get a hold of him. And now, man, now we're part of each other's lives. What a beautiful, beautiful thing! And and getting to share with him our love of Christ and him sharing with us his love of Christ, it has truly been an encouragement. Dan, speaking of encouragement, I'm so grateful that you continue to produce uh, great content. I'm grateful for you giving us the time to be on an episode of Culture Matters with us. And I hope our listeners do go out and check out your new book, Away With Words. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate the great ministry y'all are doing, the conversations, really important conversations y'all are having here to really help equip uh, the church. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett and produced by David Roark. If you liked what you heard, you can give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and support our patron page at patron.podbean.com slash culturematters. Thanks and God bless.